Long History, a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama. Part 10, an audience with the King of Calicut. Hello everyone and welcome to Long History, where we take source documents from history and split them up into chunks of around 10 minutes or so. And at the moment we're looking at a document about Vasco da Gama's first voyage. This is the one where he broke records by rounding the tip of Africa and then making his way to India, opening up a route for the Europeans and particularly the Portuguese to the East and the Far East. We've already covered documents by many explorers here on Long History, so feel free to have a look round and see what's available. And this is episode 10 of a 15-part series, so don't forget to subscribe to be informed of the release of the remaining episodes in this series. And as the previous episode ended, Da Gama had reached Calicut on the Kerala coast of southwest India. He had been granted an audience with the king and, as he arrived at the palace, was greeted with crowds of people. Da Gama's conversation with the king begins in this episode. So here we go with the journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 10, an audience with the king of Calicut. And the captain told him he was the ambassador of a king of Portugal, who was lord of many countries and the possessor of great wealth of every description, exceeding that of any king of these parts. That for a period of 60 years, his ancestors had annually sent out vessels to make discoveries in the direction of India, as they knew that there were Christian kings there like themselves. This, he said, was the reason which induced them to order this country to be discovered, not because they sought for gold or silver, for of this they had such abundance that they needed not what was to be found in this country. He further stated that the captains sent out travelled for a year or two, until their provisions were exhausted, and then returned to Portugal, without having succeeded in making the desired discovery. There reigned a king now, whose name was Dom Manuel, who had ordered him to build three vessels, of which he had been appointed captain major, and who had ordered him not to return to Portugal until he should have discovered this king of the Christians, on pain of having his head cut off. That two letter had been entrusted to him to be presented in case he succeeded in discovering him, and that he would do so on the ensuing day. And, finally, he had been instructed to say by word of mouth that he desired to be his friend and brother. In reply to this, the king said that he was welcome, that, on his part, he held him as a friend and brother, and would send ambassadors with him to Portugal. This latter had been asked a favour, the captain pretending that he would not dare to present himself before his king and master unless he was able to present, at the same time, some men of this country. These and many other things passed between the two in this chamber, and as it was already late in the night, the king asked the captain with whom he desired to lodge, with Christians or with Moors. And the captain replied, neither with Christians nor with Moors, and begged as a favour that he be given a lodging by himself. The king said he would order it thus, upon which the captain took leave of the king and came to where we were, that is, to a veranda lit up by a huge candlestick. 
By that time, four hours of the night had already gone. A night's lodging. We then all went forth with the captain in search of our lodgings, and a countless crowd with us. And the rain poured down so heavily that the streets ran with water. The captain went on the back of six men, and the time occupied in passing through the city was so long that the captain at last grew tired, and complained to the king's factor, a moor of distinction, who attended him to the lodgings. The moor then took him to his own house, and we were admitted to a court within it, where there was a veranda roofed in with tiles. Many carpets had been spread, and there were two large candlesticks like those at the royal palace. At the top of each of these were great iron lamps fed with oil or butter, and each lamp had four wicks, which gave much light. These lamps they use instead of torches. This same moor, then, had a horse brought for the captain to take him to his lodgings, but it was without a saddle, and the captain refused to mount it. We then started for our lodgings, and when we arrived, we found there some of our men, with the captain's bed, and with numerous other things which the captain had brought as presents for the king. Presents for the king on Tuesday, the captain got ready the following things to be sent to the king, viz. twelve pieces of lambel, four scarlet hoods, six hats, four strings of coral, a case containing six wash-hand basins, a case of sugar, two casks of oil, and two of honey. And as it is the custom not to send anything to the king without the knowledge of the moor, his factor, and of the bale, the captain informed them of his intention. They came, and when they saw the present they laughed at it, saying that it was not a thing to offer to a king, that the poorest merchant from Mecca or any other part of India gave more, and that if he wanted to make a present it should be in gold, as the king would not accept such things. When the captain heard this he grew sad, and said that he had brought no gold, that, moreover, he was no merchant, but an ambassador, that he gave of that which he had, which was his own, and not the king's, that if the king of Portugal ordered him to return, he would entrust him with far richer presents, and that if King Carolim would not accept these things, he would send them back to the ships. Upon this they declared that they would not forward his presents, nor consent to his forwarding them himself. When they had gone, there came certain Moorish merchants, and they all depreciated the present which the captain desired to be sent to the king. When the captain saw that they were determined not to forward his present, he said that as they would not allow him to send his present to the palace, he would go to speak to the king, and would then return to the ships. They approved of this, and told him that if he would wait a short time they would return and accompany him to the palace. And the captain waited all day, but they never came back. The captain was very wroth at being amongst so phlegmatic and unreliable a people, and intended at first to go to the palace without them. 
On further consideration, however, he thought it best to wait until the following day. As to us others, we diverted ourselves, singing and dancing to the sound of trumpets, and enjoyed ourselves much. A second audience, May the 30th. On Wednesday morning the Moors returned, and took the captain to the palace, and us others with him. The palace was crowded with armed men. Our captain was kept waiting with his conductors for fully four long hours outside a door, which was only opened when the king sent word to admit him, attended by two men only, whom he might select. The captain said that he desired to have Fernão Martins with him, who could interpret, and his secretary. It seemed to him, as it did to us, that this separation pretended no good. When he had entered, the king said that he had expected him on Tuesday. The captain said that the long road had tired him and that for this reason he had not come to see him. The king then said that he had told him that he came from a very rich kingdom, yet he had brought him nothing, that he had also told him that he was the bearer of a letter which had not yet been delivered. To this, the captain rejoined, that he had brought nothing, because the object of his voyage was merely to make discoveries, but that when other ships came, he would then see what they brought him. As to the letter, it was true that he had brought one, and would deliver it immediately. The king then asked what it was he had come to discover, stones or men. If he came to discover men, as he said, why had he brought nothing? Moreover, he had been told that he carried with him the golden image of a Santa Maria. The captain said that the Santa Maria was not of gold, and that even if she were, he would not part with her, as she had guided him across the ocean and would guide him back to his own country. The king then asked for the letter. The captain said that he begged as a favour that as the Moors wished him ill, and might misinterpret him, a Christian able to speak Arabic should be sent for. The king said this was well, and at once sent for a young man of small stature, whose name was Karam. The captain then said that he had two letters, one written in his own language, and the other in that of the Moors. That he was able to read the former, and knew that it contained nothing but what would prove acceptable but that, as to the other, he was unable to read it, and it might be good, or contain something that was erroneous. As the Christian was unable to read Moorish, four Moors took the letter and read it between them, after which they translated it to the king, who was well satisfied with its contents. The king then asked what kind of merchandise was to be found in his country. The captain said there was much corn, cloth, iron, bronze and many other things. The king asked whether he had any merchandise with him. The captain replied that he had little of each sort as samples and that if permitted to return to the ships, he would order it to be landed and that meantime four or five men would remain at the lodgings assigned them. The king said no, he might take all his people with him 
securely moor his ships, land his merchandise and sell it to the best advantage. Having taken leave of the king, the captain returned to his lodgings, and we with him. As it was already late, no attempt was made to depart that night. Return to Pandarani, May the 31st. On Thursday morning, a horse without a saddle was brought to the captain, who declined to mount it, asking that a horse of the country, that is a palanquin, might be provided, as he could not ride a horse without a saddle. He was then taken to the house of a wealthy merchant of the name of Guzarate, who ordered a palanquin to be got ready. On its arrival, the captain started at once for Pandarani, where our ships were, many people following him. We others, not being able to keep up with him, were left behind. Trudging thus along, we were overtaken by the bale, who passed on to join the captain. We lost our way and wandered far inland, but the bale sent a man after us, who put us on the right road. When we reached Pandarani, we found the captain inside a rest house, of which there were many along the road, so that travellers and wayfarers might find protection against the rain. So the meeting with the local king doesn't go terribly, but also doesn't go very well either. The king wants his letters and seems to be happy with them, but he and the people around him seem to be very unimpressed at the lack of gold. Dagama has made quite a good account of himself, pointing out that he was just an explorer, and that although he didn't have the goods that would impress the king, other people from back home would. So things are going quite precariously at the moment, and in the next episode, something, something goes wrong, and Dagama and some of his men are detained. Thank you everyone for listening, and before you go, please don't forget to like this episode. And if you know of anyone who might be interested, please do share it with them. Thank you for listening to Long Histories, a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 10, an audience with the King of Calicut. Goodbye.